Good day, everyone. In the Chinese language, the most popular word is the character blessing. And the most popular number is number eight, which sounds like the word for expanding and growing. In the Bible one day, Jesus used this word blessing many different times. He told the people how to have eight different kinds of blessings in their Christian lives. And today, in Israel, there is a beautiful chapel by the Sea of Galilee. It is called the Church of the Beatitudes. It has eight sites, and on each site is sketched one of the eight different blessings of Jesus. This morning, let us meditate on Jesus' words and learn how to receive the Beatitudes or eight blessings in our Christian lives. So we turn to Matthew chapter 5 and read what Jesus said about ideal Christian living. Chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And this is why this passage is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus often liked to use uh, mountains or the seashore and more isolated places to train his disciples and to teach the multitudes. These places are more free from disturbances, and people could also see God's nature. Try to select a good, quiet place for your personal devotions in the morning or evening. Verse 3 is the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is poor? Jesus is not talking about poor in money. He is talking about poor in spirit. The Greeks have two words for poverty. The first word is peres, one who is poor, but he has work, some work. Although the food is not enough for him, at least he is not starving. The second word is called pokos, and that is poverty that forces one to kneel down, utterly having nothing. Jesus used the second word, pokos. Blessed are the pokos people. Jesus is talking about a person who is totally poor in his heart and his soul and spirit. A person who has come to the end of his search for peace, happiness, and hope. Have you ever been in that condition when everything you had depended upon has come to nothing? When after trying and falling and trying again, 
you come out with an empty spirit and heart. When you come before God and to church, you feel like kneeling down. When a person is poor spiritually, two things will happen. First, he has already seen a lot of things, and he has stopped reaching out and grasping for what really could not satisfy him. Secondly, he starts to see that God really is enough for all his needs. He will think of what he truly possesses in Christ, and he will have the peace that passes all understanding, the real joy in Christ, and the hope for eternity. And brothers and sisters, don't be afraid to be poor in spirit because that's the time when you are nearest to the kingdom of God. That's the time when God is going to be very near to you. It was the year 1959. I had finished college in the Philippines and decided to go to Taiwan for seminary studies. But I did not have money to fly there. And God opened the way for me to go there on the Taiwan Navy boat, a small landing ship used during World War II. Upon arrival in Taipei, I decided to test if I could trust God for all my needs for the rest of my life to serve him. Now, at that time, Taiwan was very poor. The nationalist government had just gone uh, uh, a, about 10 years ago to Taiwan from the mainland China. Taiwan was very poor. My three meals with the seminary classmates were just plain lugao or porridge with peanuts and soy sauce. That's all. Three times a day, morning, noon, and night, lugao, peanuts, and soy sauce. And I also had to learn uh, Mandarin. And during the weekends, uh, after Friday afternoon classes, I was assigned to go to another city to intern uh, at the Sintian Baptist Church uh, near Pitan Lake. But I had no money even to get a ride on the public bus. So I bought an old bicycle and bike from Taipei to Sintian. It was Taipei Sanzangli, uh, the, the seminary, and to Sintian Baptist Church near Pitan. And today, people in Taiwan could not imagine biking from Taipei to Sintian every week. That was too far. Anyway, at that time, I was alone, lonely, struggling to learn Mandarin with Lugao every day. But I was the happiest seminary student there because I had learned to trust in God for all my needs. And that 
helped me later when studying at Dallas Theological Seminary in America. For one dollar a day, for food, three meals, I learned to do it, and another one dollar for housing, even during winter time, cold. And then buying an old, old car for $50 to drive. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Then 50 years so far, now in church pastoral ministries without church salary, totally trusting in God, I have learned God can be trusted. And brothers and sisters, God is the creator of all heaven and earth. When you come to the point when you have nothing in your soul, spirit, and body, Jesus said, blessed are you because God is going to satisfy you. He is all that we need. The second beatitude is, Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Now mourn, the word mourn here, is the strongest Greek word, Greek word for grieving, mourning. It means to cry one's heart out. Actually, this word was commonly used uh, during funerals, sorrowing over one's beloved loved ones. This beatitude has Two meanings in our Christian life. First, it is to mourn and sorrow over one's sin. Christianity always begins with sin and then the Savior. Before one can be a Christian, one must realize he has sinned. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Secondly, it means to sorrow over life's bitter experiences. If your teacher in school should ask you one day to write an essay on life, what is life? No need to write too much. Just give your teacher one word, tears. Tears. Life is tears. Everyone knows the story of Job in the Old Testament. In one day, Job lost everything, including all his ten children. All in one day, Job was devastated, devastated and sat in ashes. He knew that life can have many unexpected turns and events. And he said in Job chapter 1, verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can still see my dear mother, Mrs. Julia Tan. Our father had just died, and mother was left 
a widow with five little children and not much resources. I was uh, about 10 years old. One day, mother called her children together, all of us, and said, she said, we have two fathers, an earthly father and a heavenly father. We may lose our earthly father, but we still have the heavenly father. And our heavenly father is always there, loving and caring for us. And he sure did. This widow, Mrs. Julia Tan, founded the Grace Christian College, high school first in college, the Grace Christian Church of the Philippines, our church, and this entire Grace Village. And dear brethren, when we experience even the greatest sorrow and biggest loss on earth, remember to plus one. Always what you learn in kindergarten, plus one. At one, at God, God in your life. Remember, God is there to comfort you. You are blessed because you are never, ever totally alone. God is with you. And don't think that you weep alone. God weeps with you. He keeps, he preserves the teardrops. Someday, the Bible says, God shall wipe away all our tears. He will explain everything to us in heaven. And you will be comforted forever. Let's go to the third beatitude. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the word meek has two meanings in Greek. First, it is used for a domesticate, domesticated animal. The domestic animal had gone through training like a, a, a trained horse. It could obey commands. It could be controlled. A meek person's thoughts, passions, life are totally controlled by God. Secondly, this word has the idea of sincere humility, not being prideful and haughty in life. Now, in today's society, today's modern society, the corporate style is to compete, to push and fight to secretly wish others are down so that you could be on top. That's corporate. But not in God's kingdom service. In God's sight, if you are gentle and meek, you will end up inheriting the earth. That's so contradictory. How could you be a billionaire and inherit the earth by being meek and gentle? And that's exactly what Jesus trained his disciples to be. In Christ's divine service today, Jesus said, He who wants to be at the top must be at the bottom. He who wants to be the leader must be the servant of all. Let us read from Matthew chapter 20 and verses 
26 to 28, Jesus said, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I still remember many years ago, I was in Israel. And there in Jerusalem, while waiting for the Holy Land tour members to arrive, I went alone uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. I knelt inside the church there, feelingly, uh, feeling utterly helpless to lead the Holy Land tour. And I also tearfully prayed for my three little children in Dallas, Texas, Christine, Stephen, and Samuel, growing up in Texas, and for God to bless their future lives. I remember feeling so helpless, so weak and hopeless, because I'm by nature not eloquent uh, and introvert. But that's exactly what God could do to use a hopelessly helpless servant of his. Beatitude number four, verse six, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Notice the two phrases here of Jesus. Hunger and thirst and after righteousness. Hunger and thirst. Here Jesus is telling us about a starving and thirsting man longing for something, longing for righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? The Chinese word for righteous, righteousness is a lamp and myself, me. But notice, the lamp is over me in the Chinese word, and it's called yi. When we put Christ, the Lamb of God, over and above me, then God calls that man righteous. It is always to seek and to strive to be Christ-centered and to be Bible-based in our lives, in our Christian life. Have you ever noticed that when we were young, when we were young, right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. It was very clear to us when we were young. But when we become older, it becomes harder to decide what is right or what is wrong. Right or wrong now depends on the circumstances. If he is my friend, it is right. If he is my enemy, it is wrong. And the older we become, the harder it is to be righteous in life. That's why it takes real effort to be a righteous person in these last days. Then that's why Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when we are righteous, God is glorified 
in our lives, and we are filled with God's power and truth. I remember when we were small, our mother, Julietan again, would take us to visit her best friend in downtown Chinatown, Manila. But sadly, the husband of her good friend there was always busy at home writing. He was busily writing lawsuits against another Christian. He was not a lawyer, but he was very smart, and he taught himself how to write uh, legal briefs, even submitting it to the Supreme Court. But I remember Mother Julatan telling us that the Bible says, do not sue another Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, especially verse 7. The husband might be our best mother's best friend's spouse. And what he argued might have sounded right. Of course, it's always right when he sues. But it is totally unbiblical and wrong. If it's unbiblical, it is wrong regardless. And mother would always remind us that when we do what the Bible especially prohibits, it is always wrong regardless of the reasons why. And it will not prosper to the end. Mother Julia Tan, the founder of all this work, was righteous and she was right. The fifth beatitude is in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, the original meaning of merciful, this word, is to, sim to be sympathetic, to sympathize. There is a difference between to pity and to sympathize. Pity is emotional. It is a person from the outside simply looking on another person. Sympathy is different, and it is, it is getting inside the other person and trying to understand him. Now, this does not mean to condone and to brush aside a person's sin. It's trying to understand and to help him. And the best illustration is from the Bible itself, God in Christ to become man. Christ became like us, yet without sin, so that he could be our sympathizing high priest praying for us today. Now, my birthday, it's already passed, so it's okay to say November 1st. But it was often forgotten by my family members as I grew up because November 1st uh, was All Saints Day and everyone was out of the house and uh, at the cemetery. That happened again and again when I was about uh, 15 years old, around midnight, it was discovered 
that was my birthday. It was my birthday that day. And at that time, we were all living together, the three founders of, of Grace, uh, our mother and Dr. and Mrs. Sparr, Edwin Sparr and Helen Sparr. We were all living together. So Dr. Edwin Sparr, a very kind pastor, went out to his car and, would just, and asked me to sit beside him. And he drove all the way from Naktahan, Manila, all the way to uh, Valenzuela, Bulacan, to Phoebe's College of the Bible, knocked at the door of the bookstore manager at midnight, asked him to open the, the bookstore, and there Dr. Spar bought a book for me as a birthday gift. A few minutes before the expiration of my birthday, I, I remember it was Herbert's story of a Bible. I kept that book maybe for 50 years, and now I don't know who it is. But anyway, that was when I was about 15. Now I'm 85. I still remember the sympathizing kindness after 70 years. Jesus wants Christians to be merciful, sympathizing, to understand another person with kindness. Beatitude number 6, verse 8 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now this word pure in heart, katharos, is used uh, for pure milk, without, uh, not mixed with water, or a fully clean piece of uh, cloth, or for a disciplined army, all first-class soldiers and no cowards. A pure heart, blessed are the pure in heart, is one that is single-mindedness, no mixture, without any kind of alloy or mixture. To be pure in heart means our heart doesn't seek anything else other than our Lord Jesus Christ. It means we take Jesus as our unique goal as in our lives. Now, why do we need to be pure in heart? Well, when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, and we receive him into our human spirit and was born again with the divine life of God, that's, that's great. That's a beginning. But Christ doesn't just want us to receive him. He also wants us to grow in him, in our heart. Now, in order for Christ to grow freely in our hearts, we need to be pure in heart. That is, with a singleness of purpose and our goal to be Christ-centered. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
I remember during my last year uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas, that was in 1966, I wanted to study some more and get the doctorate degree, but where to go? Now, instead of praying about it, I first looked through a lot of university graduate school catalogs in the, in the library. I told myself that I wanted to attend a big school with a big campus in the States and to study for a PhD in Greek and uh, Roman history in classical studies. So I ended up applying to big schools like Yale, Princeton, UCLA, so on, to study there. But you know, God knows my heart, and I know, I know it. It's not of the Lord, but I kept on praising it. I wanted to. I like it. I will do it. I remember during those days, almost graduating from Dallas Seminary with my master's degree. I, I, I dare not kneel in prayer about that matter because my heart was accusing me. Because my heart was telling me I should pray first before I decide anything. I had spent time and money to apply, but that God did not give me peace of mind at all. Finally, I, I, I bargained with God and said, God, let all the schools reject me, reject my application. So that would finish my prob the issue and I will obediently go to seminary. But I was accepted instead. But I still have no peace. Finally, one day, I submitted myself to God's will. I started all over again from the beginning and asked God, what school shall you, do you want me to go? Immediately in my mind, I seemed to... Uh, to like the name Grace. Maybe I graduated from Grace Christian High School in Naktahan. Go to Grace. But I didn't know there, there's uh, any Grace seminary in the States. And I don't know where Grace Seminary is. When I look at the Grace seminary, Theological Seminary catalog, I didn't know any professor or friends there in Winona Lake, Indiana. I was in Texas. But you know, when we surrender to God sincerely, and God knows our heart, I was telling others, eh, it's, it's, it's for ministry. When I study Greek and Roman history, it relates to the Bible. Uh, no, I was, I was telling a lie. Only I know, and God knows my heart. But once I was willing to submit to God's will, and ways. I had, you know, that peace of mind that really brings a joy that cannot be, be explained. And so, after graduating from Dallas Seminary, I drove from Texas to Indiana, 1,000 miles in my little Volkswagen, singing all the way. I was so happy. 
in a surrendered life to God. And there, in Winona Lake, Indiana, it was a totally different environment. I had to start from the beginning, work as a janitor, and so on. But I really enjoyed studying the Bible there. Instead of, of a, in a liberal uh, seminary, so-called, that would ruin my future life. And there I got the THD degree. And I also started to write books with the encouragement of professors there. And when I, uh, in the midst of my program there in 1967, my mother, the school principal here in, in Grass Village, telegrammed me to return to Manila and to help her start a church here inside Grace Village, which is our church here, Grace Christian Church of the Philippines. And that was 55 years ago this year. It's all God's grace to pull me away from my impure heart and selfish motives, which no one knows, but God knows, and to sub finally submit and surrender to God's best will and return to Manila. The seventh beatitude is in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called the children of God. Now there's a difference between a peace lover and a peacemaker. The first, a peace lover tends to love peace so much it is peace at any cost. It is virtually to cover over sin and to have many gray areas in Christian life and to easily excuse sin. We love peace at any cost. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is calling for those who are peacemakers because they will be called children of God. When we make peace, we will be known as God's children. We love peace, true, but what's better is we want to make peace. We are peacemakers. Talk to others. Encourage them. Use the word of God. Pray for him, for them. Be sure to use God's word when talking because uh, the problem of you say, he said, arguments will never solve any problem, anything. God's word will. After many years as a pastor, I have come to know that. Only hiding behind God's word will do it. And it, it may take time, but it will do it. Finally, the last beatitude is, the eighth beatitude is in verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is very frank here, frank and honest with his disciples, with followers. Jesus told his disciples that if you follow me, they will persecute you. You will be persecuted. And in the early church, to follow Christ meant being thrown to the lions, 
burned at the stake, dumped into the ocean with a bag of snakes, and even crucified like Christ. And, but today, Satan's attacks are more subtle because the more he persecutes Christians, the more they are strong. Now, Satan's attacks have changed. It could be loss of reputation. It could be loss of friendship, even peer pressures. Or people will just not care for you, maybe close their door at your face when, when you visit them. Dear brothers and sisters, in the Bible, the, if you are invited to be safe and go to heaven. Whosoever will may come. But in the Bible, when it comes to following the Lord as a dedicated disciple, our Lord is very choosy. He wants quality. He's not after a crowd, but those who really mean business with him. The sincere disciple of Christ says yes to him all the time. And not just yes, but yes, sir. Notice that this S, the final beatitude, actually has three blessings in it. In verses, uh, there are two extra blessings after this verse. And it's in verses 11 and 12. Jesus continued and said, I'm reading from the NIV, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, if you suffer because of your stand for Christ, Rejoice, be joyful. In fact, Jesus said, exceedingly glad, be exceedingly. And in the Greek, it means to jump, jump up and down with joy. Oh, when we suffer, that's what we should do. Hard for me to jump up and down on my head. But that's what in my heart should be done. If you suffer on earth, and are misunderstood, and I'm preaching to myself too, remember, you have become famous in heaven. Heaven rejoice with you. The more we suffer for Christ, the more our eternal rewards will be piling up. And so, in summary, Jesus is giving us eight keys to a blessed Christian life. First, be poor in spirit. Secondly, to be comforted during grief and mourning. Thirdly, to be meek and humble and gentle. Fourthly, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Fifthly, to be merciful, kind. Sixth, to be pure in heart, because God knows our hearts. Seventh, 
to be a peacemaker. And number eight, willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. About 100 years ago, in the United States, West Virginia, there lived a poor old widow. Every day, the train from Baltimore to Ohio would pass by her, her hut, her house by the mountain. The B&O Railroad, you'd see that in, your, in Monopoly game, which we, we played since we were childhood. B&O Railroad. That's the railroad that passes her home house. But there was a railroad bridge, a, a bridge near before her house, near her house. One day, it was snowing, very hard. In fact, it had been snowing for many days. Suddenly, the railroad bridge collapsed under the weight of the snow and fell into the ravine below. Now, the old woman knew in about an hour, a train, the train, the regular train would be coming from Baltimore on the way to Ohio via West Virginia. But the, bridge, the railroad bridge had collapsed. So she started to burn wood as a signal to burn wood outside her house to signal the, plant, uh, the, the, the train to stop. And when all the wood she had were burned up, she burned her household furniture. But the train was late that day. Then suddenly, as the last piece of her furniture was burned up, she heard the distant sound of an approaching train. Quickly, she removed her overcoat. Although it was freezingly cold, and put the coat on the pole, lighted it up, and waved her lighted pole at the train. And when the train finally stopped, it was less than one feet away from the ravine, collapsed bridge. And you know, the B&O Railroad Company records show that for every piece of furniture she had burned up, the company rewarded her 100 pieces of furniture. As for her overcoat, the company richly made it up for her many times over. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus promised, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Shall we bow in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, in the quietness of this moment, we, we have heard the words of Jesus, the Beatitudes, the different points that will make our lives happy, with true happiness that would be eternal. Lord, may we respond with gladness and sincerity before thee. Take my life, Lord, and make it 
a blessing to others and to thee. As we are Christ-centered and Bible-based, you are glorified, and there will be eternal rewards in glory someday. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.